You're listening to a Brain Stew Fresh Fright Review. Creeps, welcome to the episode you've been waiting your entire fucking life for. It's here. It's October. And David Gordon Green's The Exorcist Believer is about to land in theaters in a few days. Myself and my co-host, B-Ratty, had the opportunity to see... The Exorcist Believer last night, courtesy of Blumhouse and Universal Pictures. I'm Justin. I'm B-Ratty. And we'd like you welcome you to our spoiler-free review. <laughs> We're going to try. Uh, the Exorcist Believer. That's 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 very accurate, Brady. We're going to try our best to talk about this movie, if you want to call it one without giving you any indication as to anything that's going to ruin it for you if you do plan on seeing it. (sighs) This one, we've been talking about this one on the show for quite a long time. Uh, For those of our longtime listeners, you know pretty much how we walked out of the last two Halloween movies from David Gordon Green. Uh, We were all pretty much on the, the same plane in terms of how we felt about those. And, you know, leading up to this, I think it's safe to say, or fair to say, rather, that we kind of cautiously optimistic about this movie. Or, in other words, we just didn't want it to be a giant heaping pile of fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we're going to talk about that now. Um, as of right this moment, the review embargo is up. And as it appears on Rotten Tomatoes, 24% rotten after 38 reviews on the tomato meter. And again, we don't put much stake into Rotten Tomatoes on the show. We're not certified or anything like that. But it's interesting to view that, um, it, it, all things considered, especially after I saw the massive review dump on Twitter last night. And uh, we're going to get into it right now, Brady. You ready, man? You ready for this? I'm ready for the unholiest of unholy episodes right now. <laughs> People are going to rebuke this fucking episode after they listen to it. Cast but- it out! <laughs> just, just bear with us, please. Uh, especially those David Gordon Green fans that I, I know you're out there that listen to the show that, listen, this is not, <laughs> as we get to it, we'll, we'll go over it. But, Brady, if there's anyone on this fucking planet that has no idea at all whatsoever what this movie is about, please do your job. Fill them in. Yeah, we're going to make it short and sweet. Um, <laughs> two girls disappear in the woods. And they returned three days later without any memory or recollection of what happened, but they ended up 30 miles down the road in a farmhouse. Uh, After some strange supernatural things start happening, the father of one of the girls ends up seeking out Chris McNeil, who we all know and love as the mother from the original Exorcist, who has been forever altered by what happened to her own daughter 50 years ago. Written by Peter Sattler, David Gordon Green, Scott Teams, who are the, you know, Big names in the Halloween, the three Halloween movies we just got, um, and directed by David Gordon Green as well. That is The Exorcist Believer. 
30 million dollar budget so this one much like every other blumhouse movie does not need to jump any hurdles in order to make its profits to make its money back uh as of this moment like their five nights at freddy's movie uh already made back its budget mm-hmm. so right. uh you know nothing against jason blum he he knows his business model he knows how to churn out movies in that old school roger corman fashion where you know they most of the time they they're, they're profitable yeah, I mean, he, and, uh, there's no dissing him for his his business acumen. Like he knows what he's doing. It's just as a film critic, sometimes it's very hard to watch him do what he does so well. Exactly, he's in the business of making money, and it, you know, it seems like he cares a lot about the projects and the IPs he takes on, but the products that he releases into theaters, uh, such as The Exorcist, Believer, would lead me to believe otherwise. Brady, I just got to let this loose right now. Yeah, go for it. I have not been this fucking angry and appalled at seeing a movie in a theater in I can't even remember the last time. Um, this actually tops how I felt from Halloween Ends and Halloween Kills. Wow. Um, yes, this has turned me around on those movies very quickly where uh, it's possible I'll revisit those, but this one Don't say that. Is, That's sacrilegious. It, Don't say listen, it. Listen, listen. This is what happened. I had a religious experience during The Exorcist Believer. <laughs> um, you know, I found God in those last two movies because I could not believe that anyone could make a movie worse than those two movies, and I was proven wrong. I saw a light. A guardian angel flew down in front of me in the theater and said, Halloween ends and Halloween kills. <laughs> the harps played. Gabriel yes, came down the, um, himself. I, listen, I, I went into this thing as optimistic as I possibly could. I, We talked about the trailers on the show a few times. I did not think it looked exciting. I didn't think it looked anything like the original in terms of visually or tonally. Um, but again, uh, the world that we live in, we get, you know, requels such as this or legacy sequels, rather, or whatever you want to call them, remakes, reboots. So we're used to this kind of thing. Right. But I still wanted to go into the most open mind possible. I just wanted to be entertained at the least bit, and I was not. I didn't receive any enjoyment or entertainment value from this movie. All I received was the most soulless, heartless, confused attempt at trying to bank on an IP that I've ever fucking seen. Mm. Period. I mean... Dropping that fucking mic. But I don't want to ruin my mic, so... Yeah, right, right. It, it did not actually drop, but we're just going to pretend like he did. Uh, yeah. yeah, man. Like it's, Insert sound effect here. Uh, it's hard to follow that because um, I never thought that I, in this year, would think that The Nun 2 was a better demonic presence movie than The Exorcist Believer. I couldn't have said it better. And... I know that we shit on David Gordon Green all the time. We shit on his Halloween movies. Like, there's no tomorrow. Uh, I didn't quite have the conversion that you did (laughs) in the theater where I I wanted to, you know, find salvation in his last two movies because I think those can all burn in hell. But I... I agree. Like I, I went into it and I was like, let me have an open mind. Let me... I hope it's good. Like, I really hope that I'm surprised. Uh, and coming out of the theater, I just... I felt like it was such, um there was such a void left by it. Like, not once, not once did it feel like an actual exorcist movie. And I, and I kept saying this leading up to it. Like, it felt like it was a movie about an exorcism that wasn't going to be like The Exorcist, right? And if you want to make a film like that, sure, do it. But don't latch it on to this beloved 
movie, I want to say franchise, but it's really not a beloved franchise, but don't attach it to such an important franchise and say, hey, it's going to be under this banner and then do what David Gordon Green just did. Like, it was so devoid of any love or appreciation or respect of the original movie. And I just can't believe that they're giving him two more of these movies, but that they gave him this movie and said, yeah, this is exactly what we wanted to see out of it. Like, I, I just, I walked away from the theater being almost livid in my car. Like, I, I just don't understand. I couldn't find a single positive thing in the aftermath. And even this morning, and, and as of this recording, like, it's really hard for me to find something that I really honestly liked about the movie. I mean, we're going to try. I, I think there, there needs to be a few things said in terms of performances, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, none of the actors, it's none, none of their faults that the script for this movie was absolute garbage. It's not their fault that the director behind it did not have a clear vision. And in reality, Brady, I think we've talked about this uh, previously, I don't even necessarily know if this is something he pitched to them. I, I haven't heard any rumors behind this or behind the scenes. Right. So to me, it, it always felt like, hey, you made us a shitload of money on Halloween movies. I, I think last I looked, it was $500 million off those three movies. Mm-hmm. And they all cost, you know, what, 20-something to make? Yeah. Somewhere around there. So it, it always kind of gave me this vibe that, like, mate Jason Blum was in there. Like, well, we're done with the Halloween movies. You know, our stake in those is over. We made our money. We, we got The Exorcist now. Would you be interested in another three-picture deal where he's going to make a shitload of money? Where, as an indie filmmaker, he's he, he, he started as, like, an indie artsy guy. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. But now it's like he's already in the world of, of making big movies. You know, big in terms of for small horror movies. But it, it just didn't seem like something he had as hard. And we've seen other IPs get placed in the hands of directors that did not have a passion for the material or did not have a clear vision where they wanted to take it for a new audience and generation. And nine times out of 10, those movies turn out to be absolute shit. Mm -hmm. This is one of those situations, but I have to give credit where credit is due. Our main character, Victor Fielding played by Leslie Odom jr. Was, I would dare say a a standout in the movie. I don't know if you agree with me or not. I do. Uh, I, you know, he showed the widest, array of emotions and character i think he did an absolute journeyman's job with you know the dialogue and what was provided to him in terms of being this this character that is a father that has gone through again we're, we're dealing with loss once more um you know i don't want to spoil the opening i would say i would say that the opening act i was very uh interested i think uh, th- at that point i was kind of thinking it's possible that this could be good there could be something here with this and i think the first act in general is not terrible i think the lead up to the possession stuff is actually pretty solid we know that david gordon green uh, within the right bounds can do suspense mm-hmm. he did it in his 2018 halloween movie he did it a little bit in halloween kills sure um you know so he, he he's decent with atmospheric scenes within the right context here the first act if anyone sees the trailer you already know um you know the girls go missing the two girls and you know everyone thinks that they're they've been abducted or they've been murdered it's like prisoners yeah (laughs) yeah um and so they find out that's not the case um but angela and Catherine are friends from school and and i I love how the, the opening of the movie brady um 
really paints Angela as close to Reagan as they possibly could. She <laughs> yeah. is just, she, it's literally, I mean, identical, mm-hmm. you know, with her and her dad joking around, chasing each other around the house. It's, it's pretty much the same exact thing we had in the original movie where this is, the, this is that remake aspect of the, the film where it's like, we have to make her a happy-go-lucky kid. She loves her dad, but she just really you know, has this void left in her life that she's trying to figure out what to do with. And, you know, just her and her innocent friend go off in the woods to go play around with some black magic. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we see that hijinks ensue when shit hits the fan. And, of course, then we have uh, a basically a very weak remake of The Exorcist there. But I, di- I really did like uh, Lydia Jewett's performance as Angela. I thought she was the strongest of the two young girls uh, Olivia O'Neill played Catherine. Uh, I, I, I felt like their relationship was pretty solid. I don't think we needed two girls possessed in the movie. I think it took away from the central focus of the characters that were, were the most solid and the most important, which is Victor and his daughter. Um, they had the most amount of whatever <laughs> speck of depth was in this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I do think that the character of Angela... And played by Lydia Jewett was a standout above all. I, it's again not their fault that the material itself was garbage. No, I agree, and I mean, <laughs> I don't want to give away spoilers. Um, I don't think this is necessarily a big spoiler, but you know, the movie does open up in a different location, um, and yeah, just like the original, right? Like the original. Unfortunately, uh, an issue that I had is this one takes place. The opening is 2010, so 13 years ago, uh, and it takes place in Haiti, and it is centered around i don't know who thought this was a good idea but haiti underwent a tragic earthquake in 2010 like that left their community like awful in shambles and like i just don't understand if if that's what they were trying to hint at here like this was part of that or this was just a one-off but i I had no idea uh, that was when i saw that i was like oh okay that's that's a really bold choice it's almost like to me like when they make movies uh, about like something that happened on 9-11 and I was like oh that's a little like that's like especially in a horror movie like this like that's what you wanted to go with um so I got past that but yeah Leslie Odom Jr. with what he's given which is is not great uh Scott team strikes out again but he, he does a really good job of being that journeyman like you said he, he puts it on his shoulders and he moves everything forward like he should he is a very caring father he's a very deliberate father with what he's doing you know when he's going through the motions of trying to figure out what's best for his daughter uh and then becoming exasperated halfway through the movie like that seems very real and that seems like a real reaction which i i always want out of these um you know i the one thing that i will say is that the first act does so well because it's playing out like a thriller not like a horror movie to me and so that's where the suspense comes from and but when you look back on it, there's there's nothing really scary about it at all. Yeah, that uh, that was my biggest takeaway from this movie. And I know we're jumping forward here, you know, start to finish. But yeah, it, it, it's not shocking nor scary. And, I, and, and I'm not uh, I'm not of the mind that they should have tried to top the original because we know there is no way to do that. Yeah. In the last fucking 50 years of demonic possession movies, exorcist movies, even haunted house movies have attempted to top what the exorcist did what william friedkin and william peter blatty put together and created in their masterpiece you'll never be able to touch it so i understand the mindset of let's just do our own thing we're going to go with this 
and it's a more subtle movie. Uh, there's nothing scary about it. There's there's some subliminal hints, like very much like the director's cut of the original Exorcist, where you see some things pop up here and there, some suggestion, um, which I thought were pretty well done. Uh, but overall, there's nothing that stands out to me. I didn't get a, a single jump or jolt. And the attempts at like minor jump scares all failed flat. Like you put it earlier, and, and rightly so, even the Nun 2 <laughs> had a few jump scare moments where they were at least semi-convincing. Where I was like, okay, I know where you were going with that. Yeah. Um, but the movie here, its lack of depth for the characters, its its lack of any understanding of what made the original so special, and th- the fact that there's nothing scary or terrifying in the movie is what really bogs it down to being the piece of shit that it is. Yeah. And I'm going to keep saying that throughout this entire spoiler-free episode because it's hard not to. And when I say I was angry about this, the the original Exorcist isn't even, like, in my top ten movies of all time. But I think anyone that loves cinema, uh, not just horror cinema, but cinema in general, understands the importance of that movie. And, yes, I I know that some of our listeners are going to be like, how are you going to compare this to that? Understandable. But unfortunately, it's hard not to because this movie is a direct sequel to that movie. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's it, no taking it. There, you can't separate the two, no matter how hard you try to. So we got to get into the demonic possession stuff. So a little bit. Yeah, but real quick, an- another thing that I want to just, I really need to bring up at this point is like you just said it. Like even people who are not horror fans. Uh, can go into the original Exorcist and, and have an appreciation and respect for it. You know, our friend Corey and I talked about it in our group, and it was like, you know, he even made the point. He's like, it really isn't a horror movie when you think about it. Like, it's it's more of a, a, a drama, character-driven piece. Um, but the thing that makes The Exorcist so scary to me to this day is still that 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 powerful suggestion, right? So even as somebody who really doesn't believe in that stuff, um, right it's still scary to me because I'm like, it, they do such a good job of showing like real believable people who have no faith in that stuff. Right. And in this movie, all that goes out the window, like father Garris. Uh, and they just like, it's everything's so rushed. Like I get, you're trying to get to the, the possession. You're trying to get to this awful point. They try to make at the end, but you're rushing through the development of characters that all, go into what makes we need to be invested in i need to wonder like be with them be like no i don't believe in this but when you go and it takes what two people to convince the dad that it's a demonic possession like that's that's too much like come on like nobody would believe that it's it's wild to me it's very rare that i've seen a film beat you so fucking hard over the head with a christian message yeah and regardless of the religion in question it it does nothing in the movie Mm -hmm. it has no significance Whereas the original film is, it's it's a movie about questioning your faith. Yeah, you know what I mean. It, that's that's all it really is. It's a question of, do you believe? Do you not? And it's ambiguous what the the ending of the original leads you to because that's what Friedkin does. He's not trying to say this is right or this is wrong. It's how do you feel about it and what do you take away from it. It's just a question. Yeah. Here, it seemed to feel like they were trying to convey a specific personal message but it doesn't do anything in the long run by the end of the movie i was confused as to what is it trying to say oh i knew what i was trying to say okay well i don't agree with it I, and i don't there's 
not to spoil it, but there's a huge overarching theme of community and the power of community, which on yep, paper are- <laughs> I love. On paper, I think that's great. I think any horror movie that can can execute that well uh, is doing a great job. However, this movie does not execute that well, and this movie ends up getting so bloated over this sense of community it's trying to heighten uh, that it leaves everybody fucking confused and everybody wondering, like, why did you go in that direction? So yeah. I, I just don't agree with it. I, I see what they were trying to do, but it just it fell flat, I think. Because, again, you it, yeah. all, the several characters that you bring in to build the sense of community are not given proper time to flesh out and develop as characters. You don't give them anything. No, you give them uh, five seconds of screen time and then be like, cool, here's a circle. It just you know, doesn't we have, make sense. We have Ann Dowd in the movie who plays Victor's next-door neighbor who also happens to be a nurse, Mm -hmm. who also happens to have once in her life gone to become a a nun. Do we ever hear her real name? I don't remember. I don't, I, (laughs) I just know her because she's like a character actress in every fucking thing. Uh, I think, Uh, I I think she, I think she plays, her name is Anne in the movie. I'm pretty sure. Is it Anne? Okay. (laughs) Cause I was like, I remember Um, she gives her like name that she was going to take if she went to the convent. Yeah. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. That's correct. Um, but yeah, so we have a character like that. We have the weird guy uh, that lives also Stewart, near yeah. Stewart, who is <laughs> like his boxing he was coach. Good, though, yeah, his boxing coach, but like a like a huge like speaking in tongues mysticism Christian. Down- and it's all in Georgia, so that's what does make it funny. It's like how they're it, it does all of that made sense having it be, be there as the setting. But the issue with that Brady is again, you look at the original film. Georgetown is the perfect setting. Mm-hmm, every sure. every location is iconic. Everything is memorable. Um, this just looks like any generic suburban street. And maybe that's what they were going for again. Like, this could happen to anybody, but we know that this is not something that happens in real life. So it's not a matter of trying to scare people uh, by saying something about that with what kind of town you chose as the setting. It, it Again, maybe it's based on the religious aspects of, you know, what that area is like yeah well so you just said let me ask a question too because we're getting into like the demonic possession part of this movie do you think that part of the reason why maybe the exorcist the original one 50 years ago was such a a hit scare wise was do you think people were more like conservatively traditionally religious back then and now so they're not do you think that has anything to play that's a great point, and I do believe that could be the case for sure, because if you think back to when the movie came out, though it's after the 60s, mm-hmm. and the 60s was the revolution in you know, uh, freedom of mind and freedom of spirituality, where people were allowed to let loose from that and kind of be free believers. But it was still a, a, a normal thing for the majority of households to go to church on Sunday. It was a, a normal thing for everyone to have. Well, I was raised ba- uh, Baptist, or I was raised Catholic, or I was Methodist. Whereas now, I mean, unless you go to a church, you don't really hear people talking about that in no. the same way. I mean, I you know when I talk to like my my family, for instance, there's there's heavily like heavy Catholic roots on my mom's side. Um, and so when I talk to them about the first time The Exorcist came out, they're like, yeah, like it was, you know, there was a huge Catholic presence across the nation. And so it really like honed in on that. And like you said, nowadays, it's cool that there are multiple different viewpoints um, and multiple different ways of belief. And I think that that's really inclusive and that's something the movie tries to prove. But I wonder if that also 
takes away from how effective it is. Uh, that's a great point to be made. I think any of these religious demonic possession movies have all become parod- parodies of themselves. So that's why, you know, when people are going to watch them now, they're not questioning their faith at all. They're just going to have a good fucking time. And right. I think that's where this movie fails the most because it forgets to be entertaining. It forgets to have that single moment where, you know, audiences in the 70s when the first Exorcist came out were blown a fucking way. Mm-hmm. Where people were, like, leaving the theater because they were going to be sick. Um, the head turn, you know, the fucking spitting the pea soup. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the masturbating voice. with the, the crucifix. and yeah. And... And the blood and, you know, yes, the voices. And, of course, Linda Blair's iconic, brilliant performance. That's not to take away anything from the girls here. They have a hefty job on their shoulders to try to live up to them at all. I do find it extremely strange um, that they cast girls that have a, a very strong physical resemblance to what Linda Blair looked like when she did The Exorcist. Dude, Catherine, they, at some points during her possession, looks just like Reagan in the original. Just fucking like her. Just like her. And Christopher Nelson does uh, a pretty solid job with the makeup here. It's way more subdued. Mm-hmm. It's nowhere near like the super ghostly, uh, almost zombie-like makeup from the original. Um, this is way more like generic evil dead rise generic zombie but that makeup, that or? also goes into i think it's funny that everything like that is generic and subdued and so are the confrontations between whoever and the demonic presence yeah whoever it may be and i don't think this is a spoiler alert because they've hinted at it in in the commercials already but we're kind of led to believe as viewers that this is the same exact demon that possessed reagan they don't overtly say it, but there are like hints at it throughout the movie. And well, yeah, even in the, even in the trailer, you know, uh, when you see Chris McNeil confronting, yeah, but that's what demon. I'm saying. So like, there's a scene where Chris McNeil confronts the demon in Catherine, and I'm not giving anything away, but it's just it doesn't leave you feeling like there's this good versus evil confrontation like you did in the original. There also doesn't feel like there's that connection. No, and it just feels like. There's nothing exciting. There's you know stuff getting thrown around the room, or like doors are getting slammed shut, and and chairs are getting thrown around. But like you said, there's no atmosphere. There's no awful things that the body is doing and contorting and and in front of your eyes. And you know there's pools of blood that come out of nowhere. And like sure, that's fine. There's also no buildup at all. That's no. the problem. the The pacing of the original is so perfect. It's it, it's just you know it's a masterpiece. Yeah. But again, there, you could have done a decent job here. But it's like there'll be a, a scene of someone driving, and it's like a silent scene with no music. The next thing you know, they're in a hospital, and oh, demonic, demonic possessions going on. And none of it's visually interesting at all or inventive in any fucking way possible. They, like I said earlier, they actually go backwards, and they wanted to do a more muted version of that where I feel like they – think about this logically – Think if Ari Aster and A24 did it. It would have been like a four-hour-long movie. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying, like, imagine how bizarre and unnerving and uncomfortable and vicious it would be. That's the thing about the original. It's fucking, it's not just scary. It's vicious. It's fucking mean-spirited. And we all know, you know, what Friedkin had to do with some of the actors or what he felt he had to do, rather, Mm -hmm. to get those performances, to get them in that state of mind where they, if you look at Ellen Bernstein's face in The Exorcist, she looks physically exhausted because of the hell that she was being put through for her performance. So does Jason Miller. 
Jason Miller looks exhausted <laughs> the entire that might just be his Dude, face, but <laughs> Well he he looks like he aged a few years making that <laughs> yeah. movie. For sure. from start to finish. But here, David Gordon Green's like apparently such a nice guy. He's probably just like, Yep, yeah, just spray some sweat on your face and you'll look like you're really exhausted and just breathe really heavy into the camera. Like none of it feels legitimate. None of it feels like grounded in reality like the original did, where you're you're supposed to be bound to these characters where you feel every emotion that they feel and what would this really be like if my child was possessed and I was in this position where I couldn't help her you know in this one it's not a spoiler really but it's like you know after they figure it out he just immediately puts her into a mental hospital see like, I, I kind of like that because he was just like bef- he know, was like fuck this shit I'm he, done with that yeah he's like <laughs> the he gets confronted by Anne the neighbor she's like you know I think your daughter was a miracle and he gives his spiel about how he doesn't like religion and he's like well I'm about to go put my miracle in a mental hospital and I thought that was like a good like quippy line but yeah it's it goes into what I was saying earlier. I can't believe it B-Raddy is praising something in the exorcist <laughs> believer ladies and gentlemen uh, take note right it's the one and only time uh and but yeah it's just right after that it's rushed and all of a sudden you know Victor goes from being this guy who doesn't believe nothing is convincing him and he's painted as the non-believer of the film and then he's like yeah sure let's just you know go from psychiatric help to automatically an exorcism of these two young girls in modern and, day times and that leads me to the elephant in the room the sorest spot for me in the movie and I'm not going to give any spoilers here but everyone that saw the trailer knows that Ellen Bernstein came back as Chris McNeil mm-hmm. And we know that David Gordon Green is the king of bringing in legacy characters and doing absolutely fucking nothing with them except to have them stand around, spout off a few monologues, and then be totally wasted in the backseat of the movie for the rest of it. And uh, unfortunately, the same happens here. Um, I can't say enough how offended and angry I was at how he handled this character. He literally just spat in the face of the original by including Ellen in the movie and as the character of Chris, someone that you feel so much for in the original film. Um, I'm not sure uh, how the deal went. I don't know uh, if there were restrictions on how she could be used or to how what capacity or for how long or anything like that. But let's just say that it, it was done with the most utter disrespect that I've seen in terms of a legacy character. Bringing someone back like this um, someone that, you know, I'm sure questioned the idea in general of even coming back to do one of these things. And they brought her back, and I felt the character was poorly mistreated. I think it was definitely the worst case of him bringing back a legacy character and just disrespecting the shit out of them. And, like, you know, there's Chris McNeil is never in the conversation of a quote-unquote final girl. Um, it's It's not like she's in that upper echelon of horror, but she's still well-known, vastly important to The Exorcist, and she's just the mom who's trying to do everything she can to understand, first of all, what's happening to her young daughter, but then also she's caught in the crossfire of everything. Um, And she does such a good job. And, And this one, they take that story of just the love between a mother and anything she'll do for her daughter and turn it upside down and then give force feed you this weird story of kind of like neglect that they want you to believe uh, that that character would not have done in a million years. And that's where we're at now and 50 years later in her life. And it's like, that was so unbelievable. And then you give her pretty much the same fucking four lines as everything she's repeating in any screen time she has. 
it's like it's almost like they said here are your four bullet points just keep repeating them but maybe sprinkle a different word in every now and then like here's right. here's a th- here's a thesaurus like finds a different synonym and it's like dude like you could have given her more or it would have been more powerful just to introduce her as a character who works in the background and then you bring back up but like what they did was just trash it was trashy and disrespectful yeah i i i i I can't say enough. Um, I turned to our good friend, Loisos, who attended the screening with me, and there was a moment in one of the scenes with Chris McNeil, and I literally stood up and turned to him, and I said, I'm fucking done. And I was about to fall, like, literally just leave the theater, like, just follow through, follow suit, head on out, and just maybe go to the fucking local bar and have a few stiff drinks while I was waiting <laughs> for him to finish the movie, because right, 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 right. I could not believe uh what they were what they did with it uh you know not only that disrespect but you know and i brought this up i tweeted this i don't know if you noticed this but you know we know that william friedkin famously uh spoke out against this movie in a sense where he didn't want to be involved at all yeah something along the lines like i'd rather be dead or you know whatever and god rest his fucking soul legend mm-hmm. who i had a chance to meet uh he was a firecracker but they did not do an in memoriam. There was no in memory of yeah. William Friedkin at the end of the movie. And even if he didn't want to be involved with the making of the movie, I felt it was totally disrespectful um, to not even include that, like, in loving memory, William Friedkin. The guy that, you know, along with William Peter Blatty, crafted the iconic classic in which this follows. Just and to play devil's advocate here, we don't know the full story. I agree. If they just didn't if they took that upon themselves to not keep that in because of his statements of not wanting to be involved that's a terrible thing but we don't know if because of his passing maybe he was his family was approached and his family declined and didn't want him in it it's entirely yeah. possible that, um, that's a great point which people brought up on twitter as well i just you know i i don't see his family being like no don't no honor i don't father, i don't see that you at know all. Or, or or whatever whoever putting made that an in memoriam does not mean you're giving that person is giving their blessing that's just you saying hey we respect the shit out of this guy for exactly everything he did that's true that's what i'm saying where the whole you know when they did scream five and the whole thing was you know hashtag for wes mm-hmm. let's just say this movie was most definitely not hashtag for william friedkin not, uh, not, not even remotely fucking close not even remote not even in the same universe um but as we move forward here, because there's not much else in the movie, um, you know, we get to the the third act, which I think is the weakest oh. act in the movie. Yeah. Um, where whereas the original had, you know, two Catholic priests that were almost just as much of a focus as Chris was, and you felt for them and you connected with them as human beings. Here, we don't get that at all whatsoever. We get. The character of uh, Father Maddox, played oh by E.G. Bonilla, um, who is not really a character. He just shows the fuck up. Um, you see a scene of him, you know, walking around with Anne with no dialogue. And then, you know, when this end finale occurs, he shows up, does absolutely nothing. And let's just say is disposed of fairly quickly. Um, and again, you had said earlier on. The movie is trying to do this thing with community, so it's way more about the community trying to once again resolve the evil. A lot of similarities to what he tried to do with Haddonfield in the Halloween movies, 
Let's all come together. Pazuzu dies tonight. Pazuzu dies tonight. (laughs) I'll say this much, though. One positive thing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the body and the blood, the body and the blood. That did not become the new evil dies tonight. Thank God. That scene was nowhere near as bad as I expected it to be. That scene was such a belly flop that I was like, are you fucking kidding me? You blew this scene up in the fucking trailer and then you give us whatever you gave us in the editing table? Whatever they gave us, they gave us nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing of impact. Nothing that made me feel anything and nothing that scared me. Um, I think the lead up in the scene is really good. There's some good fidgeting stuff going on that was kind of spooky and, uh, you know, thanks to the performances by these young girls. Again, uh, I'm going to keep throwing praise their way because they were put in these positions to follow up Linda Blair and, um, it's a, it's a huge honor to to do that, and I'm sure they put their all into it. So, uh, uh, and I and I will say another thing that I can kind of praise. Um, it's kind of a backhanded compliment, but in that how fi- dare you in that final act? You know, they make a choice to have these interesting visions and imagery of demons and what you're led to believe. I think is hell. Um, and I liked that because that did feel very jarring and visceral, but it's so detached still from the the exorcist, the main theme that they're going with. And, you know, in the original, it's it's this one demon. But and now it's like all of a sudden, like, is that the devil? Is that Satan? Like, what's going on? And so there is a scene with one of the girls, uh, Catherine, at the end of the exorcism that I think was done really well. Uh, but it was too short-lived, and at that point, it's too little too late. Oh, yeah. I think you know what I'm uh, talking about. Yeah. I do. I do. And, uh, you know, again, there's. I said it earlier on, there's some decent imagery in spots here, but I will have to, I have to come out on a limb and say this, too. Um, cinematographer Michael Simmons worked on this. He also works on The Righteous Gemstones. He did the Halloween movies with David Gordon Green. Unfortunately, this lacks that cold... Uh, style and look to the film it's shot just like the halloween movies you know this movie takes place in fall the original took place in winter where everything was just cold and dreary i did not care for the color palette here either everything is like when when the possession turns in the original it goes from like being this normal you know regularly colored movie with a regular warm color palette to everything being blue and cold and muted and here, everything just stayed the same. Yeah. There was no effort put into, you know, visualizing the movie stylistically. And I also hate to say it, uh, I, I hated the music in this. Oh, same. You know, Thank God you uh, said it. David Gordon Green uh, definitely benefited hugely by having John Carpenter, Daniel Davies, and Cody Carpenter do the Halloween scores for those movies because they're all brilliant. Mm-hmm. I dare say the best thing that came out of those movies. Um, but the music is by... Aman Abbasi and David Wingo. I've not heard of them, Mm-mm. but I, I'll say this. The use of the original theme fell fucking flat. Oh, so bad. Uh, and you only hear it like a couple of times, and there was like no... Uh, you know, at the end of the movie, when we're, we have this big finale, I expected it to come in and be this huge, sweeping, iconic, energetic, like, you know what I mean? It's just almost heroic thing, and it didn't. It was non-existent. It was just when it played, it just played like the most flat thing you've ever heard. Um, just really weird choice there. I did not understand that at all. It had no identity at all whatsoever. 
Yeah, I didn't understand that either. And there's like this weird remix version of it at the end that I just, it, it again, fell flat. Um, so yeah, like you said, uh, you could definitely tell that he got some strength in his last franchise from having some heavy hitters like John Carpenter come along. Um, yeah, and, and then I just, I gotta be honest, until the end, I really didn't hear any music like i wasn't focused on it and i don't know if that's because i was so upset with what i was watching that i just couldn't hear anything like i went white hot rage uh but i felt the music was non-existent until the very end yeah i mean it's 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 a mostly silent movie in that sense Mm -hmm. which again i don't have a huge issue with but you know just such an unmemorable score for an unmemorable movie, uh, but we—I think we—we're we're down to it. The yeah. finale, the third act. I think we got to talk about it. We're not going to spoil anything. We're not going to let you know how it ends. Um, it's very questionable, and I didn't understand it all. Yes, I said it. Understand. Understand. Um, understand the symbolism or the attempt at symbolism or what they were really trying to say. For me, at least, because the movie ends on a super fucking down note and it pretends like it's a positive uplifting ending if you know what i i'm yeah where i'm going well, with that here's the thing i think justin is you know go back to halloween 2018 and as far as we know halloween 2018 was it supposed to be a standalone film there was no talks of a second or third film it did phenomenally well they threw two more movies at him and we all watched him struggle to figure out huh, what do I do? Like, how do I come up with this? So like, he had a great idea for 2018, but it was a singular idea. He's already got two more movies lined up in a deal for Exorcist. So they're trying to steer this one to kind of get it to transition and set up for the second film. But that's not what I, like, I don't want that out of an Exorcist film. Like, don't give me this weird down vibe with a monologue over top where it's like, it felt like Halloween. That's what it felt like. It felt like somebody's trying to tell it like, talk you through the rest yeah of the it's like it's franchise. this long rambling metaphor about christ and the devil and hope and faith and dude it's absolutely ridiculous because the shit that shit did nothing to help anyone in the fucking movie right at all whatsoever so it's confused itself and its identity it's totally confused as well uh, what's the monologue mean because what you're talking about i didn't see in the movie yeah exactly and so i think that's where they're going with it but i too felt like right after, you could have ended the movie right after The Exorcism. It, it would have been a perfect cliffhanger for the second movie to set up. Because at this point, Justin, I have no idea what the fuck they're going to do in the second movie. I have an idea um, that we can go into the uh, next episode, but... Yeah, I'm praying it doesn't happen. I'm praying... I, I never wish a movie to bomb. Uh, I just hope that... You know, there's a reason we heard so many behind-the-scenes uh, excerpts from people that saw test screenings of this a year ago, and the word on the street was consistently, it's terrible. They're still working on it, but it's terrible. And even up to, I think, like a month ago, uh, I talked to someone, I'm not going to name them on the show, who I reached out to, and they were like, dude, I just saw it again. It's it's bad. Like, they're just going to try to dump this thing. And, you know, they released or the press screening, rather, was on a Tuesday. The movie opens on Thursday worldwide, Mm -hmm. or at least in the U.S., rather. So that's usually not a good indication. 
but you know, it's weird because when I was leaving the theater, a lot of people seemed to like you know regular GA seemed to enjoy it. It's possible this could be a crowd pleaser, but I just based on what I've seen so far and my own feelings on the picture, uh, just I just don't see that happening. I it's not a crowd pleasing movie to me, and without going too far or too deep into the finale of the movie, it's. Again, lackluster. It's without impact. I didn't feel anything from it. It's not inventive. It's not exciting. It's not scary. It's just the two girls tied up to one another in chairs in someone's house and a bunch of people circling around them yelling shit at them. Yep. Nothing exciting fucking happens at all whatsoever. Uh, there's, you know, you hear, you do hear one line from the original and I was like waiting for it and I was like, okay, well, at least you didn't repeat it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, I was happy about that. So there's that, too. But overall, like I said at the beginning of this, and I'm exhausted right now after talking about it, but it feels kind of good because I kind of feel like I've exercised the demon that was the exorcist believer from my being, just getting it all out in the open. Any final thoughts on this before we get to trash it or treasure it? No, I th- I think I need a couple exorcisms and stiff drinks to get over <laughs> what I just saw. Dude, I'm going to, I mean, I swear to God, I'll probably be, I'll, I'll get alcohol poisoning from how much booze I'll have to drink. I'm going to have to pour it myself. like directly into my eyes. That's what I'm going to have to do. Yeah. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so, so much for listening to our spoiler free review of The Exorcist Believer. We missed our boy Jeremy on this episode. He could not make the screening last night because he got back from H45 and he's a busy guy but we miss you jeremy on this episode i i'm going to be very interested to see his thoughts on this movie when he gets a chance to see it this weekend and we are hopefully still going to be doing a full spoiler review dropping that next week for you guys after you know the dust is settled and the majority of you that are going to see the movie have had a chance to see the movie um but yes I'm just going to say it right now. You've already listened to the episode. You know what I'm going to do, but I'm trashing The Exorcist Believer. This, uh, again, this is one of the worst requels I've seen. I think the lack of care and respect and understanding of what made the original something so special. Uh, David Gordon Green was just not the right guy for this, plain and simple. And what we have here is a very confused movie, a very unentertaining movie that lacks any scares. And you're not going to walk out of the theater remembering shit five minutes later. Yeah. It's a dud. Yeah. It's a massive fucking fumble. Uh, I also will be trashing the shit out of this movie. Uh, probably the worst movie I've seen this year. Uh, and it, not, You're not lying, man. You're no, not lying it's, at all. That's not just... It's awful. But it's a bloated mess. I mean, it's two hours when it easily could have been shaved down to an hour and a half. Uh, it's character work is fine but nothing (laughs) outrageous or noteworthy you know it's it's not scary it's not compelling it doesn't give you this this powerful suggestion or like make you it it doesn't leave you asking the question what if like what if all of this could be real like like you said georgetown was such a very believable place for it to happen in the original and to make people think wow this could fucking happen anywhere the setting is off the families are off. The sense of community is extremely bloated, extremely confusing, and extremely misfiring on execution, which is what I can say about the whole movie. And it's it's not good. It doesn't leave you feeling scared. Uh, it just makes you wish that you had gone and seen Saw 10 instead. Yeah. And this is a sequel to the film that is widely considered 
in quotations, the most terrifying movie ever made. Yeah. Uh, any hint of depth or understanding or terror that could have been installed into this film goes right out the fucking window faster than Father Karras. Oh. That's it for our spoiler-free review of The Exorcist Believer. Thanks so much for listening. We fucking love you guys. And if you like what you're hearing, if you love what you're hearing, if you're angry that we didn't like The Exorcist Believer, let us know all about it by leaving us an iTunes review. It's even easier on Spotify. You just leave us a star rating. You don't even have to write anything. And also be sure to go ahead and follow us on social media, at Epic Film Guys, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, on TikTok, on Blue Sky Now, on Threads, on everything. We're on literally everything. Um, something else <laughs> Sorry. that we're on. <laughs> something, I don't know. We got an invite for it. We're, we're on it. Um, thanks to our, our listener and friend, Johnny. Thank you for that. He sent me an invite code. So. Shout out, Johnny. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're, we're, we're there. And uh, we also have a Patreon, which we're going to be working on revamping and some other fun, spooky shit up our sleeve for spooky season. It's October. So I'm not going to let this movie ruin spooky month for me. I just got back from Salem this week. Had a blast hanging out with you, Woo. doing the Hocus Pocus locations. And next week on Tuesday at Alamo DC Ashburn, I am screening the new 4K restoration of Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. There you go. So peep that shit out. And just, hey, check our social media for all of our updates and cool stuff we have happening. But until next time, I'm Justin. I'm Biretti. And as always, we like to ask you to keep it creepy. The power of Christ compels you!